what keeps me up at night is the pressure to perform probably. You know, if I've got a big moment, it'll be actually I, I want to really nail it. The last thing if you're leading a business is uh, you want everyone the same. You want you want diverse experience and, and athletes have this really cool experience in high-pressure environments. If I was someone who is sceptical and if I didn't know you, and if I was looking on the outside, is there a chance I might think Rugby Australia has put you on to be more of a figurehead, to have McClellan pulling the strings behind the scenes? Accordingly, it's sloppy. It's Phil Waugh! Oh, Phil Waugh, This is probably the worst kept secret in Australia. Phil Waugh is the new CEO of Rugby Australia, known for his grit and his hardness and his high standards. Straight to Phil Waugh, <laughs> that pass from Pudgy. An illustrious business career where he's worked at the National Australia Bank. A lot of focus goes on to World Cups. I think what's really important for rugby in Australia is, is winning between World Cups as well. What's your number one productivity tip? Make decisions quickly. What frustrates me um, the most is people who don't make decisions. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Not making a decision is not a right decision. You know, I've played with a lot of passion on the field and uh, and I intend to have that same level of passion and commitment uh, in the role I'm going into. Who's um, captain at home? <laughs> not me. <laughs> Optimise performance through adapting your physical, psychological and emotional state. Hey, it's Andrew and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. Phil Waugh is a former Australian rugby union footballer who played 79 games for the Wallabies, three as captain, and he played 136 games, 58 as captain for the New South Wales Waratahs. His preferred position was open side breakaway, where his goal was to be a menace for the opposing team's back row. Phil was awarded the John Eels medal as the best Wallabies player in 2003. After retiring in 2011, he successfully transitioned to the world of banking and finance. He worked for three of the big four. It was hard to keep up with him, starting as National Head of Asset Finance at CBA, then moving to St. George Auto before he headed up COVID response and private wealth at Westpac, before changing jerseys again and working as an executive in NAB's home ownership domain. Phil has an extensive background as a media commentator. He's been a trustee of the Sydney Cricket Ground for six years and for five years non-executive director for Rugby Australia. He was recently appointed as the new CEO of Rugby Australia. Phil is married to Abby and he's the proud father of four energetic boys, Jack, Charlie, George and Arthur. Phil's guidance and mentoring at a Tour de Cure charity ball is one of the reasons why I am also a proud father of four. Phil Wall, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Interesting intro, isn't it? Saying you're responsible for me having four children. Do you want to pick up on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I do remember that conversation uh, we had, and uh, I'd only just had my George, I think it was, and I was talking about the excitement of uh, being back in the trenches with a uh, with a young baby. And I think at the time you were thinking, uh, I'm completely mad, and uh, and I was probably thinking the same thing. But uh, uh, we talked about just yeah, uh, you know, the fact that uh, your life's short, uh, leaning in and um, and having no regrets, and uh, and I think that uh, hopefully. You've got no regrets, and uh, and your two young ones are filling with you with a lot of joy. No regrets, apart from when I see school fees uh, when I'm at home sometimes, and there's a crazy house. I blame you, but no, I, th I thank you because I was struggling at that stage because I had two kids similar to you from first marriage, and had repartnered. 
and Tony wanted more kids and I was like, oh, I'm not sure. We broke up, we got back together and you said, like, mate, what are you doing? I'll, I'll paraphrase, but you know, if you're going to have more kids and you're with a younger partner, why don't you? It's much easier than having a, you know, kids come from another relationship and it just dawned on me. So from that moment, I attribute you to helping me get over the baggage I had in my head about having a modern family. And that's uh, that's why you look so happy today, mate. It is, it is. And you're <laughs> happy as well. The recently appointed CEO of Rugby Australia. A rough framework though today. I'd like to talk about performing as an athlete. Performing in life, like I want to know how do you stay fit, healthy, vibrant, looking suave every time I see you in a coffee shop in the lower North Shore. Performing in banking and finance and then performing in your new role. Exciting yet challenging role. Now as a breakaway, tearing away, you, you tend to play to your own rules. Do you want to go sequentially? One, two, three, four, and then we'll do performance uncovered, or do you want to just pick a number and go for it? Uh, mate, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll run it uh, however you want to run it, uh, and I'll, 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 be, uh, I'll be very transparent around uh, around my thoughts. And I mean, uh, I always say performance is the most important thing, and, uh, and everything stems from performance, and so uh, we'll, we'll bounce through. We're on the, the right page, because researching you, that was the thread that came through for me, is about performance. So let's start sequentially. As an athlete, go back as, as a young kid, what were you like? I was energetic and ambitious, I think. Uh, you know, I was, I was hungry. I mean, I was a terror. Um, you know, mum and dad put me into uh, the Narrabeen Tigers when I was four because I was so hard to manage at home, I think, and um, played three years in the under-sevens, and that was when under-sevens was uh, was contact, and so full, fully contested scrums and uh, and tackle, and so, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was half the size of everyone else. Uh, but that sort of grew my hunger for the game, and uh, and I just – it's tough when you see it goes, is it nature or is it nurture in mm-hmm. terms of that uh, competitiveness? But I was just a, a super competitive uh, young kid from the Northern Beaches uh, that, that wanted to do well. And and just loved all sports. So you know, whether it was rugby or cricket or athletics or surfing, it's just I just I just love being active and uh, and being out there and being competitive. Nature or nurture is an interesting argument. There's a great book, David Epstein, Range. Have mm-hmm. you read that? Yeah. It talks about the collective experience of what you've done gets you to where you are. And it's not the most talented athlete or the most talented banker that goes to the top. It's an athlete that gets experience along the way. And and, and if I look at your career, from what you're saying as a young kid, you weren't the biggest. I imagine you weren't the fastest but you had that mongrel in you. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I think that I've seen so many good athletes come into uh, a rugby environment and you think this athlete's uh, superior to everyone else. They'll go on and play for the Wallabies for 10 years and uh, they're not mentally tough and they get injured and they drop out. And on the other side, you see athletes come in that you sort of go, well, actually, probably not that athletic, doesn't test that well. Um, but then when they go out and, and perform, they've got that mental toughness. And, and I think that's what uh, that's the difference. And uh, you know, when, you, when you get those athletes that come through with that uh, that mental strength and that persistence and resilience. Uh, those are the ones that go on, not necessarily the most gifted uh, naturally. And um, and so it's yeah, just very much a combination of both. And you know, I've always people say, oh, you know, I've got a young 18, 19 year old come in really talented, just need to make him a little bit more uh, mentally tough. I'm like, well, probably needed him when he was three or four, not when yeah. he was 18 or 19. How, how do you test that? Because I know some of the rugby league talent scouts will look at two kids. And if one comes from a private school, has a double barrel hyphenated name and is dropped off in the the Rolls Royce of the limo and another kid comes from a challenging socioeconomic and a challenging family environment, everything being equal, they'll choose the kid that has had adversity in their life. How do you test that? How do you train that for the 18 or 19 year old kid that comes in has got all the talent, but you know, they get a paper cut and they think it's a grade one hamstring tear? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I try not to judge who's had a privileged background versus who's had a, uh, a more challenging background because, uh, yeah, the, the kid with a more privileged background may be just as mentally tough as, as that uh, young kid who's had a challenging background. Uh, you see it really quickly. You see it in a cha- you see it in, a, in an environment, particularly in rugby, where you've got that contest within the contest. You know, whether it's in the breakdown or you know something's a bit niggly, and uh, you see the response really quickly. So I find that when I can see it, well, I can see it really. Quickly, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I think that good talent identification identifies that really quickly uh, in uh, in identifying young uh, boys and girls that have got that real mental toughness. Is there a standout game when you look back on your career? Like you've played hundreds of games at the top level professional. You would have played hundreds and hundreds for school at, at Shaw, a big rugby school here in Sydney. Is there a standout moment when you go, oh, that's where I just I fell in love with the game, and or I, I knew that this was my game. I just, and it's the old cliche, but it was it's literally one game at a time, and then you sort of go through the journey, and it was very much you know, always focused on performance, and and you you you've got to play as well as you possibly can in the game you're in to then get the opportunity in the next game, and so it sort of evolves, and whilst you sort of go on and play World Cup finals, um, you know, and you go through the juniors and grassroots, um, but to get the next opportunity, you've got to perform, and and so it was. Uh, if I go back to you know one game, and I just got off the phone talking about uh, you know twenty years. Since uh, the Rugby World Cup uh, final in, in 2003, and doesn't that make you feel old for anyone listening? And, and goes 2003. I remember. I remember where I was. We're going to talk about that. Gosh, that's gone quick. Yeah, and, and yeah, that semi final we beat the All Blacks, and but 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 it's all about um, you know performing on the way there, and you've got to perform to get the next opportunity. And uh, it's a bit like business. And so sort of like, people are always looking for their next job, and and I always say that if you're doing your job that you're in now really well, that'll actually give you optionality. Um, if you're looking for your next job and uh, and not doing the job you're in really well, then you, you'll have a really narrow um, mm. uh, level of options. And so uh, it's all, it, I, and, I, and I know it probably becomes a bit boring, but it's actually just how do you how do you win the contest you're in right now uh, and then win the next contest? You do that well, you're going to then have an overall really strong performance, which then gives you the next opportunity. But you were like a ferret, like you, you just like you'd go <laughs> diving am. in. You still, <laughs> you had the long hair back then, didn't you? you yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the, still, the pretty long locks. still growing back, yeah. I had long hair then too, mate, yeah. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note, I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know, you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now let's get on to this week's guest. But um, you just love the contest. So when, when you're looking at kids, or what, what are you going to do with Rugby Australia to try and get more kids playing rugby? What's going to be your message to young boys and young girls? Like, Thankfully, we've caught up right now. There are pathways and lots of opportunities for women's rugby as well. How are you going to recruit? Because rugby league has just gone, go back to 2003. In that last two decades, rugby league has just accelerated and union has probably not even gone sideways. It's gone backwards. It has in Australia, globally, rugby is very healthy, and uh, and you go up into Europe, and there'll be a lot of criticism here around the rules and interpretation, and the game's too slow and too technical. Go up to uh, start to France, and eighty thousand people, and it's a slow mm-hmm. game and it's technical, and uh, and people are going absolutely crazy for the game. So, so really. 
important from a global aspect to look at the context. Um, in terms of the grassroots, I always say that you know Rugby Australia has the responsibility of being the governing body, but our public and our boys and girls in the community own the game. And we need to really focus on that connection back into the community. Um, I'm a big believer in governing bodies being responsible for the social elements of keeping boys and girls active on weekends and active after school. And so, you know, whilst there's a lot of competition between the codes, I'm an advocate for coexisting uh, with the other codes and saying, well, actually, if a boy or a girl's playing rugby league or AFL or soccer on a Saturday, I'm less concerned about that as I am making sure they're getting an experience of rugby and playing rugby as well. And uh, I think if we can get as many boys and girls playing rugby, we'll be the net beneficiary because of it's such a, such a narrow talent pool within Australia because of our population and because of the competing sports. So if we can get more boys and girls experiencing rugby and then we've got the global aspect of the game of rugby, I think that uh, we've got a lot of upside. We are unique as a a country because we've got NRL, which we're the the, the dominant NRL uh, force in the world. We've got rugby and it's been up and down, but we're still very, very competitive in world rugby. Then we've got AFL, which the only other game close to that is Gaelic football, but we've got like rock stars. You look at AFL, look at across the teams, how many of those centre-half forwards would you love to have jumping in a line out? Like how many of those rucks would you love ferreting in as a scrum like you did? And then we've got football or soccer and we've got people competing on a world stage. So that's one of your biggest challenges. Like you've got to cut out these other sports, mate. (laughs) Well, or you coexist. Yes, right. And, and we've got so many good athletes across the country. But as you say, we've got uh, so many high-level professional games. And as you say, AFL, you know, predominantly in the southern states, uh, rugby league, you know, mostly uh, New South Wales, a little bit into Queensland. And uh, and so it's a really competitive environment. Uh, I, I think that the global aspect of our game is our differentiator. And uh, we need to leverage that. We need to give young boys and girls experience of that international coverage and uh, travel and everything else that rugby brings uh, to those that are fortunate enough to play it and, and and the beautiful thing about rugby is if you play in a club here in uh, in Australia you can travel anywhere in the world um, and walk into a rugby club and you'll feel at home and you'll feel welcomed and uh, it's a it's a really cool sport to be a part of so you've got in your back pocket some of those strategies already some of the young <laughs> NRL players Mr War why should I leave insert NRL club Young man, young woman, here's the world. The world is your oyster. It's competitive, and, and it was competitive for you. A quote from the Sydney Morning Herald a number of years ago says, Phil War was noted for his ability at ruck time, his strength in the tackle and skill with ball in hand. He's somewhat unfortunate to have been born in the same generation as rival George Smith. I don't know whether you agree with that, though. Was it unfortunate or fortunate to be born at the same time? Well, I'd say fortunate. And we actually grew up uh, playing uh, against each other and with each other on the Northern Beaches from when we were about uh, 13 or 14. So uh, I've known George for a long time. I actually did a uh, photo shoot uh, yesterday with George and we were laughing that the World Cup was 20 years ago. But uh, George is just such a lovely guy. But you, you go through uh, you know, the best Wallabies that have ever played for the Wallabies and George would be right up there. And you know, over 100 tests and played globally and uh, and played the top level uh, throughout his, uh, you know, it's probably about a 20-year career at the, the top level. So I'd say for, I always say, you know, the best thing about having uh, someone as good as that in your position is that it pushes you to perform better. It pushes you to the next level. If you get to that level of comfort whereby you've, you're comfortable in your role and you haven't got someone pushing you, then you don't really hit your, your potential. And uh, having George there certainly lifted me to the heights that I, I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, to reach. But he went on and he was, he, he's, as I said, one of the best uh, Wallabies ever. Mm. So performance, competition, 
Do you ever downregulate, or do you ever not be the, the, <laughs> the, the guy who's on? And, and I've, I've known you for a number of years. Uh, when you were working at Combank a number of years ago, it was at Darling Park. You were downstairs in the coffee shop. I can't even remember. It wasn't Quinton Boys. Quinton connected us after that for something. I can't remember who the first person was. But you were going through a marriage separation at that time, and so was I. But did you even just power through that? Like, or did you just sort of wake up one morning and go, yeah, it's all fine, I'll move through? Or did, did that rock you a little bit? Because everything I see you do, you seem to handle so well. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, you need to be rocked, right? I think it, it's, it's healthy to uh, to be vulnerable uh, at certain times. And then it's around, I also go, you know, focus and vision and positivity. I, I think that uh, you want to be one of those people that people get energy from and uh, and that you're not sapping energy from people. And uh, and so I always uh, look at, you know, like that it's like life's pretty short, right? So, and, and I'm a big believer in sort of leaning in and, and having a swing and having a crack and being positive about uh, about what you're doing. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's, uh, you yeah, know, what's the next task? What's the next challenge? Um, you know, how do we enjoy what we do? I struggled heaps from my marriage breakdown because I'd always been the performer. Uh, I'd done well at school, well at sport, well at business, and suddenly I had a marriage failure. And I, I like internally, I didn't process it because I thought, oh, yeah, it's, I, I put on this facade outside and I had to like really hit rock bottom to actually get my shit together. Did you sail through it or did you did you really struggle? Because I, yeah. I knew you then, but I didn't really know you'd have yeah, that well, you see, it's confronting because I was sort of finishing my rugby career and then also finishing marriage, and so it's sort of a reset moment. And um, I, I'm a big believer in, in um, focusing on physical health to help with mental health. And so, you know, ensure that I was kept on training and kept, uh, feeling good physically, um, which then I think naturally goes through uh, to feeling good mentally. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's a tough time, but I think anyone transitioning, um, and, and one thing which uh, which uh, you didn't mention in that beautiful introduction was uh, was just the, you know, the, the Sydney to Hobarts that I did. And uh, so we did 60 Sydney to Hobarts and uh, 2011 we beat Wild Oats by three minutes and eight seconds. And so you, when, when, I think when people uh, retire um, from a team sport, they, they lack that uh, experience of being in a team environment. I was very fortunate to replace the rugby team environment with the sailing team environment and so I had this sort of really cool team that I was still a part of and so I was always busy and 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 and, and being challenged and looking forward to the next challenge and I think that uh, you know staying busy is, is really really important. Yeah I was going to ask you about that so we'll dive into it but you had some big names on the boat with you Carl Stefanovic, Larry Emder, Tom Slingsby, Jude Bolton, uh, Guillaume Brahimi I'm sure I've butchered his name, Michael Clark, Anthony Minicello, Kurtley Beale. Um, who was the best sailor? Who was the biggest promoter? Well, well the one, one name you didn't mention was Kurt Fernley. And, and you think about uh, you know, impressive people. So in 2011 oh, course, when we won course. it, Kurt, yeah. Kurt was on there. And, what a legend. Uh, I mean, incredibly uh, tough. You talk about mental toughness. I mean, that, Kurt's tough. Um, but but yeah, so I think it was – so we had you know, 16 professional sailors and then eight sports people or, or TV uh, celebrities. And uh, But when you're in the team and you're in the boat, like everyone's got their role and you've got to perform your role. If you don't perform your role, the boat, boat breaks down. So, I mean, really cool experience. I grew up watching it. Uh, you know, on the northern beaches, you watch uh, a lot of sailing and then you see the Sydney Hobart and you go, actually, that'd be really cool to do one day. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to do it. Was anyone a passenger? Come on, give no, us there a few. There are a few. <laughs> a few. Um, no, it's actually, what was Carl was good. He sort of just went downstairs and slept for two and a half days and then got up as we going up the door, went waving to everyone. So, where he was good. So fresh. <laughs> exactly. But, no, it was actually, um, as for me, like just that team environment, I, I think uh, that's, that's, that's the fun part. And uh, even now, 
um, you know, all those guys that you mentioned and girls because we you know obviously Lane uh, Beach was involved as well and Sally Fitzgibbon but uh, a lot of that that team we're still really close because mm-hmm. we shared an experience that uh, put us all out of our comfort zone and uh, and and we had a great time. Bit more of an authentic team building experience than you have the corporate trainers come and go, hey Phil, let's build a go kart and you and. Yeah, Sarah are arguing. Hey, now you me. build a go-kart and you get on. Have you been to any of those awful freaking team-building days right. where you just want to headbutt the instructor? I think uh, when you're throwing up all over each other, that is team-building. <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. So that, that transition is huge for a lot of athletes. So many athletes struggle. And I won't pick names from your team, but you could go through a number of guys that you played with throughout your career who were at the top of the world in rugby haven't made that transition to life. I look at this with rugby league, and one of the things that Anthony Seabold is my boss at uh, Manly Seagulls. We just want to make sure that players have got a good base outside life. Was that the case when you played? Were you did you have people saying, "What do you do outside?" Were you encouraged to get those other skills outside to transition? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, very fortunate uh, having the experience at the uh, University of Sydney and, and and Sydney University Football Club being my club and so strongly encouraged around uh, around education and and doing a degree I, I sort of started my first subject in 1998 and graduated with two degrees in 2011 so it wasn't the fastest uh, uh, education uh, pro- program ever but, uh, but was but, that because of rugby or because you struggled no nah, because of rugby so <laughs> <laughs> well, a bit of both actually that's right I've repeated it a few times uh, but, but I think uh, so, so then it's around um but I find balance is really important. It actually helps with the rugby. So actually having distraction outside of rugby and not being focused and in the bubble the whole time actually helps with performance. And so I quite like the variety. I think then it's around actually accepting that it's finished and uh, accepting that uh, it's time to move on. And I think that that's the real moment I think athletes need to recognise and uh, and put a stake in the ground and say, well, actually, I've had a really – and be appreciative of the journey you've been on in sport, but then say, actually, it's um, you know, that really cool journey has come to an end and now it's time to start a new journey. And I think it's actually separating the two rather than trying to um, morph it into it just keeps going into the next part of your life because it doesn't. And, uh, and it's very hard to replace. So actually recognising it, appreciating it, and then starting again. Hindsight's a wonderful gift. Now you're in your mid-30s. <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> 43. In your early 40s. Did you know this when you made that transition? Or were you just lucky that you finished rugby, you had good contacts, you've, you've got you know, good chat on you as well, you've always formed good relationships, yeah. you had the degree, and then you jumped into sailing? Or did you know that's what I needed to do? to help me fill the void that rugby has had in my life for so long. Yeah, I think um, I think I became I accepted it pretty quickly, which is fortunate, but it was those other distractions that helped me accept it. So the sailing, you know, the good guidance from uh, you know senior leaders in business. And so then you, I was very quickly sort of pivoted and said, well actually the rugby's finished. I've got this other team um, environment being the sailing and then I need to Pay the new path for my career post rugby. So um, I think you need to deliberately recognise it. Mm. A quick break in the program to let you know about the Performance Intelligence Masterclass. You see, every week we receive a number of requests from people listening to the podcast or attending one of my keynote presentations wanting to know more about personal performance coaching. Due to the demands on my time, running strivestronger.com, delivering mental skills training for athletes and sporting teams, my speaking practice, and also having four kids, I only allocate a set amount of time each week, about half a day, 
towards coaching. And this is primarily targeted at senior executives and entrepreneurs and founders. The starting price for my coaching programs is $15,000, which I realize is a lot of money and it's prohibitive for many people. So, based on the success of a 12-month coaching program we've been delivering for a number of corporate clients, we are launching a public version of Performance Intelligence Masterclass. It's open to the public and it's open to people like you. So if you would like to boost your psychological fitness and resilience, enhance physical well-being and energy, if you want to live longer, if you want to increase productivity, if you want to enhance cognitive capacity and decision-making, and if you want to do this with a support group of like-minded people, oh, and if you also want to make more money, Performance Intelligence Masterclass has been designed for you. How does it work? Well, the format is we pick a theme for each quarter like being match fit or boosting productivity or accelerating mental skills, enhancing leadership, etc. There's a half-day group workshop. Then we have six weeks of check-ins where you're made accountable each week just by asking five or six key questions. And then we wrap that up with a 60 to 90 minute workshop, six weeks after the half-day workshop. And then for the rest of the quarter, you put this into practice. To find out more, go to andrewmay.com slash Performance Intelligence Masterclass. So post-rugby, one of the things I remember you saying to me in the early days is you'd spent 11 years studying at Sydney University and uh, when you were back at uni or even back at school, you know, you were one of the jocks and you were the cool kids and the nerds weren't. And suddenly you went to Combank and some of those nerds were above you. So they made it a, a little bit hard for you. You had to prove your wares a little bit more than some. Yeah, like, I, and I think one of the hardest things for athletes going into a new environment is actually uh, uh, you're so far behind others that have been in that environment for longer, and you don't necessarily feel like you belong. And so, belief is a really big uh, aspect of transitioning, and and believing that you've actually uh, you have something to offer that others can't. And uh, and when you when you when you recognise that. That's a pivotal moment to then transitioning because uh, otherwise you feel well inferior and and you feel that you don't belong and as soon as you feel like that you start questioning yourself and as we know it's uh yeah you know, it's just it's a downward spiral from there and you've also you're behind a decade because those kids that did go to university straight away then got it maybe a graduate program or went to a consulting firm then went to a bank sideways they've had a decade of experience and you come in your early 30s and you're suddenly sitting there going, what the hell is this? Like, and you, you, you knew some of the concepts, but the nuance in business, it takes a while to learn, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'd put it a different way. I wouldn't say you're behind a decade. I'd say that um, you're on par in terms of the tenure of experience. Your experience is just very different and unique that no one else in there has. And so it's actually mm. pivoting it and saying, well, actually, yeah, I haven't been uh, an analyst and I haven't been doing uh, you know, all the, the business and banking and finance aspects, but I've been doing uh, all this other really cool stuff around high performance and, and working under enormous pressure. Uh, and so you bring a skill set that is very difficult to replicate. Yeah, good answer. On that, because it would be easy to say, "Hey, we've we've got this void." Because I hear a lot of athletes say that, oh, "I'm so behind. I haven't had that experience." So you're saying, "Well, you've got different experience. Lean on that. Use that." Hundred percent. Like it's like look at last thing. If you're leading a business, is uh, you want everyone the same. You want you want diverse experience, and and athletes have this really cool experience in high pressure environments that uh, that are very different to uh, what occurs in business every day. And uh, and I so I, I genuinely think the sooner athletes recognise that and appreciate that and appreciate what they can bring to the environment, the far easier the transition is. 
So the seven-year-old tearing around rugby pitches in Sydney, did that seven-year-old want to play for the Wallabies? Yeah, I, I, I would have had the same ambition to play for the Wallabies, whether it was professional or amateur. I was just very lucky it was professional when I when I got there, but uh, I, I wanted to play for, for the Wallabies from, from from a very young age. I ball boyed for Ringer and then I watched the Wallabies come back and play club. And so I was very much, uh, um, you know, rugby from a grassroots right through to the professional game is sort of in my blood. Did the new kid at Combank one day want to be CEO of Rugby Australia and CEO <laughs> of a big bank? I... Um, I love progress, and so I love uh, aspiration, and, um, uh, and 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 I want to achieve. And so, um, yeah, it was certainly my vision to earn the right to go to the next level, and then do a really good job there, and the right then to go to the next level. And so, um, yeah, you got you got to earn the right. And so, my aspiration is probably to get to the top of whatever I'm doing, but you can't rush to get there. So talk to me, what does earning the right mean? Because I hear Billy Slater say that with the Queensland players. You've got to earn the right to put on the maroon jersey. What did earning the right mean for you? Yeah, it's it's about performing at the top level. And, you know, when you're playing, you, you know, I remember when I first came into a, a playing a, a professional playing environment and I wouldn't do any talking because you had to earn the right to talk. And you earn the right to talk by performing. And once you perform, then you can actually start talking. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really old school, but, but but I think there's a lot of similarities in then going into a work environment, um, ensuring that the job I'm doing is uh, as strong and as good as it possibly can be to then earn the right to then have an opportunity at a bigger job. And so it's uh, it's actually probably getting quite granular into the role you're doing and doing it better than others. A couple of mutual friends. We've got Quinton Boys and David Lindbergh. Dave's now over in the UK and uh, Quinton is, is at NAB. I asked them about you. Lindbergh said to me, he said, when he first met you, you surprised him because he made what a lot of people do is the mistake that it's a footballer who's been put into banking. He said, you could walk into a room. He said he wished he had your conversation skills, just the way you would work a room. And at a function, you'd know all the key people, where they are, where they work. And he said, that's a gift. So he wanted to know, do you know how to do that? Or is that just natural? Like, do you naturally walk into a room and think, how do I connect? Or have you always just had that chat? No, I, I definitely haven't always had that chat. I was, I was incredibly shy um, as, as a kid. Um, I, I find that hard to but believe. I, really? Shy, yeah, like shy, shy in terms of conversationally shy, but like I'd rip into what I was doing. I could probably be a little bit cheeky, which you probably find a little bit more easy, or easier to believe. But connectivity is uh, so powerful and I'm genuinely interested in what other people are, are doing and what it's interesting to other people, and so I love I love connecting with people and and forming alignment within the environment uh, that that I'm in, and so um, yeah, I, I I enjoy connecting. I've heard an athlete sometimes stand up in front of a group and go, "Working in the bank, working in the telco, working in the consulting firm is just like playing footy, riding big waves, facing balls at 150 kilometres an hour. You've just got to have goals and attitude and discipline and, and you'll evolve and you hear someone like that and you look at half the crowd and they go, oh God, here's a jock who doesn't get the corporate world. What did you do differently? How did you not go in with ego? Because that would have been challenging. You, you, I made the joke, but you did say to me one time, that these kids that you, know, you probably knew from younger years, and then they were giving you a bit of a hard time. You would have had to swallow your ego. Because if you rock in there wearing a Wallabies jersey, everyone's going to think you're a wanker, apart from one or two you know, older blokes. How did you do that? How did you step back and reinvent? Yeah, I think um, 
you can't say it's like playing the All Blacks at Eden Park or England at Twickenham. It, it, it's um, well, if you want to sound like David Brandt off the off, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's uh, but I think the key elements are actually what are the skills that you take out of that high performance environment that are very similar to a high performance business environment, and you know that's largely around culture and team. And so I do think there's a lot of similarities just in very different fields, but there's a lot of similarities around, you know, really enjoyable team environments in a bank or in a business um, had that really, you know, strong and cool culture. Mm -hmm. And it's the same in the best teams that I played in. We had really strong and cool cultures. And so, um, yeah, it's not, it's not like playing and facing the harker. But being in a team environment where people like being around each other and um, there's that really sort of strong culture, it's very similar. I've got to ask you about the Haka. When you've got these warriors across you and you're about to go into 80 minutes of battle, that's pretty tough. Like I'm sure it gives them a psychological edge. And I know, didn't they, Wales one time said they can't do the Haka and then the Kiwis had to do it in the change room. Do you know that, that Yeah, that story? That's, that's right. Well, the, 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 I think before that, there was the standoff harker whereby, um, because the harker is very much a challenge and so as soon as one of the players facing the harker turns away, then the, Haw the All Blacks would turn away and uh, and then the um, the All Blacks did their harker and then the Welsh didn't turn away and so they st stood there um, facing off for I think it was about a minute and a half and as you can imagine in an 85,000 seat stadium with the roof closed at Millennium um, Stadium in Cardiff it just got louder and louder and louder to the point where the referee was trying to usher the players to turn and go away and uh, and so that was like a really cool and if you want to look it up on YouTube look look that up because that is a really cool uh, moment to watch and then uh, the following year I believe uh, the Welsh Rugby Union said actually it's an unfair advantage and uh, the All Blacks aren't allowed to do the harker uh, after the anthems, we're just going to play, go straight into the game, and uh, and so the All Blacks did the harker in the change rooms, and then went out and did the anthems, and uh, and I think they were up, the All Blacks got away to like a twenty five point to start um, within the first ten minutes, and uh, I think the Welsh thought off was like the harker. They can do it. Do it. <laughs> all the way. So I, I digress. The word that comes to me even talking to you today is self-awareness. You have really good self-awareness and you also have a pause. And I can see sometimes you're thinking, what's he asking? And there's a small delay and a process of information. Yep. Yep. I think I, – I think, um, You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I – think Thoughtfulness is so important, and, and and even responsiveness. So so when when something happens that is not planned, and could disrupt someone or disrupt an environment, I think it's really important to contextualise it and actually understand and think about what it actually means. I and mean, that's probably probably sort of quite uh, broad comment, but I think that thoughtfulness is really important, and 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 then responsiveness and. It's really easy to just fly into something, but mm. I think it's actually go actually step step back and go well actually what's the context? What does it mean? How will people respond? And so um, you know EQ is is really really important. The different side of you because I think when we're talking in a coffee shop, more probably I swear more, and you might follow suit. But I see that today there's that real gap between stimulus and response. Yeah, who taught you that? I don't know. I think I've probably. I think you you learn it 
as you go and, and maybe some of the, a lot of that is natural but also self-awareness is um and it's so important self-awareness in team environments because everyone needs to be treated differently I know that people say, well, everyone needs to be treated the same, but people are motivated differently. People respond to different uh, ways of talking and ways of working. And so actually um, having awareness and having awareness of others then allows you then to probably have a lot of self-awareness. You're sounding very psychological. <laughs> I feel that way. I mean, I've never done any psychological uh, subjects in my life, but other than, other than leadership, which is probably the most... Uh, I think when you've played hundreds of games of rugby at the mm. professional level, you develop some sort of awareness, one of you, two of others, mm. and you're not going to be captain. Half your games, or more than half your games at Waratah, you were captain, and that's a pseudo-psychologist, isn't it? You've got 15 men plus guys on a bench, and you've got to yeah. like work out how are they today, what's going on in their life. It's complex. Yeah. Leadership and, and captaining a sporting team, we do not give anywhere near enough credit. Yeah, and, and, and um, the longevity of it, because players come and go, and as you say, you got 15 players um, starting, and then we had 22 players dressed to play. So then you had seven on the bench, and then and then you had maybe another eight to ten who wanted to be at least on the bench, but they wanted to be starting. And so you've got this dynamic where it is competitive within the environment. But you've got to make sure you drive a culture that's inclusive um, and and is one team um, rather than competing against each other all the time. So did you have mental skills coaches, psychologists? Leadership training back then, or was it Eddie Jones would have been the coach? Yeah, we, yeah, Eddie. So, so I was fortunate. So Rod McQueen to start with the Wallabies, and then uh, and then Eddie uh, Eddie Jones uh, was after that. I mean, you go back, you go through, and even today, the best coaches are those the ones that uh, that get the psychology of sport mm -hmm. and uh, and know how to get the best possible performance out of each individual, and um, and that that's 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 the art I see of coaching. I mean, there's all the strategic elements and uh, and and specific skill um, coaching, but but what's really powerful is the the psychological understanding of each player to get the best performance. Mm. No, and, and it's not just outsourced, so you get the mental skills coach or the psychologist to work with the players. You can't fake it. Yeah. You can't fake it. So, so you, you can't – it's got to be authentic. Mm. So who's um, captain at home? <laughs> not me. I've got to try and be home more often, I think. But um, oh, maybe I, yeah, I'm very fortunate to, uh, to have a, a very, very supportive and capable wife. You light up when you say that. There's a bit of a different light up. So I know with you, with, with Abby, with yeah. the boys, it's – it's something that it's more than just home. It, you know, it gives you a chance to downregulate, but you, you you love participating in life as well. So that's one yeah. of the questions I had, and we jumped into rugby. So we'll come back. But how do you stay connected? You know, how do you stay? Because you, you, you always look like you you're connected, and you yeah. use that word a few times. You always look like you're present. Does that always work at home, or do you sometimes get feedback like I do sometimes that you do yeah, all this yeah. shit with everyone else, and why can't you be present at home? I get very similar feedback to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, but, but I I think that being always on is not such a bad thing, uh, and and you know maybe you get some people say well you should be you know you walk in the front door and you have that third space and you and you and you switch off and you should be all in then at home, but I just. Um, like it's actually probably I think about it more actually how do you involve your family in your life and always on's okay and we're all sort of part of it you know, mm. sort of how I think about it rather than saying actually here's my work life then I'm going to have this sort of clearing my head space and then I'm going to go in that's my home life I sort of feel like and I think that 
um, you know, probably COVID enabled a lot of that. You used to sort of say, actually, you're going to leave work at the front door, you're going to go into your house and work's left out, and then all of a sudden everyone's working from home, so work's in the house. And, and so I think that my, my view is that um, to be really authentic, you sort of bring it all together. So this is, this is eclectic, yeah, messy, it's, working. Well, it's messy, it's mix. fast, it's sort of, it's, 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 it's engaged. It's, you know, I'd love to get Abby's feedback. Maybe that's not how she feels. <laughs> but, uh, but I do think it's actually, it's very difficult when you're in sort of big roles to leave it at the front door yeah. because, because you, need to be, you need to be on. I don't think you can. Those people that say compartmentalise your life, Phil, you know, go to work and then put a boundary, go home, it bleeds over. Yeah, it just, it just uh, and and. Even if you had the ability to do that, it's likely that you'll take the uh, the pressure mentally, um, even if it's subconsciously, because you should be doing something or responding to an email or calling someone back. You'll take it in, and 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 it just well, for me, it just doesn't work. Do you do anything to transition though? So you're driving home, and you're talking to a board member, you're talking to Chair Hamish, you're talking to Coach Eddie, you're talking to media. Well, I, I will often just sit outside the house and I'll just breathe for a couple of minutes because I have had feedback unsolicited, Phil. I didn't ask for it, that I, I step inside and I'm still in my head yeah. if I've had a meeting, a call. So I just try and have a pause for three or five minutes and then just think about, okay, what, what am I transitioning into? And, and often it's crazy, <laughs> four kids, but that helps me. I don't always yeah. do it. And invariably the times I don't do it, I get the feedback. Yeah, you're still at work. Yeah, where's your head? So do you have any little tips? Um, no, I probably should do that. There's a bit of tip I should take on board. But uh, as you know, you hang up the phone and then uh, even if you try to get that three to five minutes, it rings again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I do uh, – I mean, the beauty is you know, you know, going to the garage, garage door opens, kids hear the garage door open, they'll come down the garage and, uh, and there they are. So it's sort of a, not, a, not a massive uh, transitioning period uh, into the home. But uh, look, I, I, I just think it's just that sort of how do you – Probably that connectivity and engagement. How do you just engage with the kids as quickly as you can? Mm. Are the kids and Abby excited about the role? <laughs> I think they're nervous. Um, nervous. I mean, but they, I mean, the beautiful part of the role is that I'm so genuinely passionate about about the sport, and and Abby's supportive of me following my passion. And yeah, you know, I'm gonna. Uh, it's not going to be an easy role. It's going to be a challenging role, but it's it's it's, it's hopefully really rewarding. How did you sell it to Abby? <laughs> There's a World Cup coming up. It's yeah, in that's Southern right, France. Right, yeah. We're going to stay there yeah, after. But look, look at this maybe villa. That's, maybe that's how. <laughs> maybe that's how Abby saw it. But we all know it would be very different. Um, no, look, I think uh, Abby's been very supportive uh, with all my career decisions. Yeah. So onto your role as CEO, exciting role, big role. And if I look at the results in the Rugby World Cup. 1987, fourth place. Uh, Australia won in 1991, 95 quarterfinals. We won in 1989 and we haven't won since. Runners up, the team you were in in 2003. What, what does it look like in five years? What success for you? Are you looking at that? Is it, is it winning the World Cup, men's and women's? Yeah, I think a lot of focus goes on to, into um, and onto uh, World Cup and performance at World Cups. I think what's really important for rugby in Australia is, is winning between World Cups as well. And, and I think it's okay to float in. Like 2015, we made the final, but then 2016, we came back, we lost 3-0 to England. Super rugby teams were poor, and so we just lost all the momentum. And so it's really important. You look at Ireland over the last uh, you know, seven to eight years, they've had really successful uh, teams within World Cups, probably haven't done as well as World Cups as they'd like, but the fact that they're competing in, in their provincial um, competitions and, uh, and their 
they're, they're winning test matches in Six Nations between World Cups. That's really important. And they're so, a force now, aren't they, Ireland? They're, yeah, they're, and, they're, they're tough. Got, yeah, the centralised system. They've got their four clubs that um, that do well, and then they work together as a unit nationally. And so they're they're, they're really uh, a really good case study of um, you know whilst World Cups are really important to perform at, winning between World Cups is uh, equally as important. And so um, yeah, success looks like you're obviously doing well this World Cup, but then how do we uh, build a sustainable high performance system that uh, that has us winning across the men's and women's game consistently between World Cups and then hopefully winning World Cups. Okay, so in five years, we look in the crystal ball. What else is happening? What, what's happening domestically? Because there's, there's often an argument. Do we have too many teams in Super yep. Rugby? We've got yep. five teams. Our percentage, yep. I think, when we had three or four teams was up around 60 or 70%. Yep. It's dropped right yep. down. You've yep. heard this argument yep. multiple times. Yep. Yeah, so, so I mean, success looks like I mean, we we need to do better across the system, uh, and 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 our Super Rugby teams need to do better. Um, and there's you know we we talk at length around that, um, but if we think about yeah, you know, how do you build up Super Rugby? How do we ensure that there's the connectivity between um, the club game to the professional game? And I think that's where we've sort of drifted and where the gaps been. We used to go and watch a club game, then you'd support your club player at a Waratahs game or a Reds game, and then you'd go and watch Wallabies. And now I think our fan base are probably choosing between going to a club game and going to a Super Rugby game. And mm. uh, and so there's a big connection piece uh, there. And uh, and I mean a really big opportunity for us is the women's game. And mm. and you think about the World Cup last year in, in New Zealand, Eden Park, full stadium for when New Zealand won, uh, the, you know, the Black Ferns won the uh, the World Cup. You go to the Six Nations now and there's 60,000 people at Twickenham uh, and we host a World Cup in 2029 here in Australia and so the growth of the women's game and the focus on uh, the women's game and I, I believe that, you know, rugby clubs can be the beating heart of communities and uh, and where it's done really well, that's what they are and so uh, so the connectivity into the grassroots participation and, uh, and making that culture of inclusiveness uh, is really important. You've also got rugby in the Olympics, which is a, a huge challenge, but also a huge opportunity because you'll have some players that will only play the shorter format or specialise yep. in that. So just throwing that into the mix as well. So you've got men's and women's World Cups, you've got the grassroots, you've got super rugby, oh, and then every four years we'll throw in an Olympics for yeah. you. Yeah, and and every two years in between you've Commonwealth Games as well. So, so uh, you got yeah. – uh, so yeah, Did so, you so look at the job teams. description, Chad? Did you actually – The you, complexity did, of everything. But the uh, – yeah, so we, and, and, and fortunately both the men's and women's teams have qualified for uh, for Paris already, so um, – yeah, which is re- really exciting and, and, and uh, the women's are very much a flagship team across Australian sport and, uh, and doing a really – a good job and, and the men have grown so much in the last 18 months won the World Series um, last year so uh, so it's actually really exciting across all formats which is and, and you know the, the 15 side game is not for everyone so that aspect of the sevens and uh, you know and some thought around non-contact as well is, is, uh, is certainly on the agenda An article last week in ESPN said throughout his career Phil War remained a relentless attack dog do you like that? <laughs> a relentless attack dog a breakdown and defensive warrior that did his best work away from the camera and often with little fanfare. Roughly 15 years on, he plans to chart a similar course as Rugby Australia's chief executive. Not yeah, a bad quote. Not bad. An not attack bad, dog. Not bad. Attack dog. And, uh, Doing your work behind the scenes, yeah, behind the yeah, cameras. And, uh, and as I said, I, I think that uh, you know, I've played, played with a lot of passion on the field and, uh, and I intend to have that same level of passion and commitment uh, in the role I'm going into. And the role you're going into, Chair, at Hamish McClellan, who you've worked with for a number of years as well, uh, he's a strong character. He has strong views. 
how are you going to get that balance? Oh, well, we, we've been working really closely together since uh, since Hamish came into uh, chair. So we uh, talk very frequently uh, and discuss uh, all aspects of the game and, and, and decision making. So I, I'm excited to work in that different relationship because CEO chairs obviously a very different relationship, but also with the other directors that uh, we've got such a capable board that um, in my view, is really, really constructive. And so uh, it's probably very fortunate to have that level of support and capability around the boardroom table as a CEO. And you've been on the board for five years, so it's not like you've just been jettisoned in from banking yeah. and he has no idea about rugby. You've been dancing between the two worlds. So you've been there making decisions. You've seen what's happened behind. So it, it really, it's been a training wheels. <laughs> well, it's always uh, the pressure changes though when you go into the CEO role, that's for sure. But I, I, uh, I've been heavily involved and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for, for what's, what's, what's in front of, uh, of, of the game here in Australia. And as I said, the, the capability around the table is, uh, is probably second to none. And how many new friends have you got? Like all those friends you haven't heard from? I've always had a lot of feedback and, uh, and I'm sure I'll get a lot more uh, in the next uh, little while. But uh, oh, it's, it's, been really, it's been really humbling in terms of the number of people who have connected and, uh, and said their congratulations. And, um, you know, it's a... Uh, as a, as a bit like the performance aspect, I mean, a bit like you know, when you get the Wallaby jersey, um, anyone can put a Wallaby jersey on. It's actually then the performance you put onto the field in that Wallaby jersey. And uh, you know, a bit like the same as this role, you know, anyone can be appointed a CEO. Now it's actually the performance of the role that I go into that's going to be, that I'll be judged on. Have you had anyone ring up and say, hey, Warrior, it's Jono. Yeah, they used to call me Mad Dog. We played together at the Ringer Rats. I haven't seen you since I was nine. Mate, I'll be in France over later this year. Can you get me some tickets to the World Cup? I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a few of those, but uh, yeah, they, they can pay for them. But no, <laughs> I think uh, I've had some really funny calls. Um, you know, made up in Barwarina uh, last weekend was taking a, a junior team down to Tamworth to play in the state championships and uh, had me on loudspeaker to the uh, to the team, and uh, that was kind of cool. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, that's so good, what good does fun. that mean to you to talk to a bunch of kids from Barwarina? They well, I love I think, that because yeah, you know Dubbo's my. Well, so my sixteen-year-old uh, son was refereeing in Dubbo for the state championships on the weekend, so they got the bus up on uh, on Friday, and then he came back late on Monday night. Uh, I think he refereed uh, you know, seven or eight games over the weekend, and I mean, that, that's what uh, is a pretty cool experience for boys and girls to have that experience to go around the the, the state or the country, um, you know, playing uh, playing rugby. So that's uh, uh, it's good. So when you're talking to those young kids. Big bright eyes from Brewarina. What questions did they ask? No, they, I mean, it was just a more of a uh, go, go down and, and enjoy it. As I said before, around the, the social responsibility we have of keeping kids um, active and keeping them involved and engaged. And you know, I've been up to sort of, you know, been, been put through Dubbo up into Cobar and Brewarina and Warren and Burke. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, there's just so many good, there's so much strong talent up there. And just got to big, big rugby league areas. So, Union, is yep. Union got a, a plan out in those areas as well? Yeah, I think we're, we're sort of, you know, rugby's um, in some of those uh, towns are pretty strong, pretty strong. And some, um, you know, and, and also understand the governance framework of rugby and the fact that you know, a lot of the, well, all the community game is delivered through the, the member unions being, being New South Wales for, for that area of, uh, of Australia. And so just how do we, how do we connect and, and make sure that we, uh, we support uh, the member unions in delivering the community game? I've got to ask you at least one challenging question because we've had all the nice ones as well. So if I was someone who is sceptical and if I didn't know you, and if I was looking on the outside, is there a chance I might think Rugby Australia has put you on to be more of a figurehead, to have McClellan pulling the strings behind the scenes? And I actually saw a comment similar to that uh, in Sydney Morning Herald. So there's obviously a few people out there who are sceptical, which you have 
diversity in opinion. What do you think when someone says that? That really you're in this role, huge role. Yep. Yeah, I think um, it's such a aspirational role. I think uh, that comes with such massive responsibility that you're always going to have people that uh, you know going to question, have I had the training to do the role? You know, is you know, and, and you know, what's the different dynamics across uh, across um, chair and CEO, and then through the Eddie Jones, the coach, and I, I went through a very thorough process to be the the uh, the supported candidate and so i i mean again it sort of comes back to that belief and mm-hmm. uh, you know i genuinely believe that um you know in my time in my career right now i'm um, i'm well positioned with the support around me because it's not the one man um show it's i think it's actually you know how how do we work together as one team to deliver the game in australia and so you know whilst i'll have the ceo title of always as even when i had the captaincy title when i was playing it was around actually who's playing around with me how do i empower my leaders around me how do i ensure i've got the best leaders uh, you know in the team whether it's the scrum the line out the defense the back line um, and it's very similar in this role it's actually how do i put the best people around and empower those people so talk to me about eddie i've got to ask about that because <laughs> the, the dynamic that's it's fascinating right because you were a 23 24 year old yeah. young man when you first played for the wallabies he was your coach you know, I know a few people who've worked with Eddie, they all say the same thing, that he just teaches them so much, but he's pretty ruthless on his standards as well. Now, he reports into you. Is that how the hierarchy <laughs> does, works? Does, or the, the uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a different dynamic. Um, but you send again, him a text message and say, all right, Eddie, uh, I'll tell you who's boss now, champ. Uh, you realign it? Yeah, that's right. But I think, uh, again, it's actually um, it's actually that, that, that real one-team sort of mentality. And, and so you've got a chair and a board that's very involved, and we've got a head coach that's uh, huge. Uh, reputation and, and, and personality, and, uh, and and hungry to succeed, and uh, and so um, I find it really exciting. I mean, I love that real ambition to win, and uh, and that you know winning at all costs and bringing people on the journey. And you know, those who have played with Eddie and and played um, you know under Eddie, they they appreciate that, and uh, and they know that he'll get the best out of them. Have you sat back at all in the last few weeks? Because you, at a time of recording, you haven't started the role. It's it's starting in a few weeks. But have you sat back? Have you been out with Abby having a glass of wine, or did you did you catch a reflection in the mirror? Very <laughs> the lift, and you just went, "You're the man." You, you, you like, oh, no, not the man. You don't say shit like that. But did you actually go? Like, wow, have, have you had, in, in coaching psychology, we call it lag time. So I, I look at you today and I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm proud of all the work you've done and we've only danced across it today. Like you've worked your ass off as a player. You worked your ass off studying. You worked your ass off in banking for, what, 15 years and yeah, now you've fallen into this role, but you've been training for this role all your life. Lag time is your catch up how others see. You've had multiple messages from friends and Jono from the rats, you know, the nine-year-old who wants tickets. Have you had a quiet moment where you've actually just sat and reflected and caught up with what's happened? Uh, probably probably not, uh, to be honest, but I, I think um – no, 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 no. You see the reports refer. No, I, I have you? I haven't. I haven't. Um, I haven't had that moment to stop and 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 reflect in the enormity of, uh, I guess, um, the the responsibility. But I will before I uh, before I start. Good. But when you do think about that, what does it feel like? Like you light up. Yeah, I I love sport. And rugby was always my number one sport. I mean, I played heaps of cricket as well, and love cricket. Um, but but rugby was always the sport, and 
And that's why I sort of go back to where it's really um, powerful is in communities. And my weekends were down at Rat Park, and like as a kid, and so that was like the that was that was our community centre. And so how do you how do you ensure that we bring that back? And uh, you know, you got young boys and girls walking around town in Wallaby jerseys um, because in you know, 2003 you'd just walk around town and everyone knew who you were as a player, and everyone was wearing Wallaby jerseys. And uh, and I think we've got that real opportunity to bring that back. So when you do have that moment, what do you reckon you'll think? <laughs> I think uh, that's uh, you got a big responsibility. You got to do well. Yeah, it's exciting. What is also exciting is finding out a little bit more about you. Performance uncovered. 13 questions. Just hit me with the answer that comes. First of all, what is your favourite movie? Oh, um, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you sold Petey? <laughs> I reckon I know the majority of quotes. Yeah, there you go. Good. There you go. It that, resonates with you. That John Denver's full of that's crap. Right, is it right. really your favourite movie, Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> well, that's, I, like, I like that sort of uh, escapism and that certainly makes me escape. Don't tell you this the wrong way, but I do not give a shit about rugby CEO role now. I just reckon you're a legend. So, <laughs> Wizard, do you know the movie Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. You do? Know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> We've had no there one we answer go. that. The question there two. Uh, what song do you know all of the lyrics to? Oh, now this uh, – I'm actually no good on, on music. Like I listen to a bit of music, but I don't know, I don't know the words to, uh, to any song. No, I know the words to the anthem and that's about it. Australian anthem. All right, we'll run with that. Question three. What food can't you get enough of? I do like Japanese cuisine. Did you ever play over in Japan? Uh, no, I played test matches in Japan, but not uh, not a club in Japan, but uh, a beautiful country. Do you make a nice Japanese meal yourself? No, no okay. but I can uh, outsource that. Question number four. What book has had the biggest impact on your life? I go back, I do a bit of reading, but I sort of go back to when I was really young and I read Simon Poitivan's autobiography, uh, For Love, Not Money. Mm. And I was only maybe ten or eleven when I when I read that book, and uh, it just resonated me because similar to my earlier conversation around the fact I would have had the same ambition to play for the Wallabies, whether it was amateur or professional, and uh, you know it was very much for love and not the money. My dad gave me that book. Simon Poitivan went out to Glen Innes, where Dad was the captain mm. coach. Glenn's Rugby Union many years ago and Poitivan spoke and then a number of years later he got the book and Dad gave it to me. So it was, a, it was actually a really good book, just the passion he's got. Question number five, what is your most meaningful possession? I've kept when I swapped jerseys or played in Wallaby jerseys, um, but those jerseys are um, really meaningful for me just because it's actually, I mean, it's the end of the journey when you're actually playing for the Wallabies because you sort of did so much work to get there, but actually having you know all the different um, na national jerseys and obviously Wallaby jerseys as well. Is pretty, pretty Do you have them in a pool room somewhere? I've got uh, I've got a few framed, but then I've got uh, yeah I've got them all sort of boxed and up. Who've you, who've you got? I've got uh, Neil Back. So I've got a, a Neil Back's jersey from um, the World Cup final. So my World Cup final jersey and Neil Back's World Cup final jersey. You know, I always wish that we were the winner and not him. But anyway, um, yeah, I've got Rich, Richie McCaw, you know, Cornet Krieger, you know, all the, uh, you know, Josh Cronfeld, all the big sort of um, international stars. Question six, what does your weekly fitness routine look like? Uh, I try and train most mornings. Um, I try and train every morning, but uh, I go to uh, uh, PCYC, old school gym, and uh, I do uh, catch up on. I do the old uh, orbital for twenty minutes and catch up on my uh, on my replays on the uh, mini games for, for Super Rugby or Test matches. Uh, then do circuit weights. Uh, then um, you know, I, I 
go pretty hard for about 45 minutes. Because you're looking lean. We caught up a few weeks ago and I did say to you, you're looking pretty <laughs> trim. And I actually, I think we did catch up a few years ago and I, I sent you a text after to go on my six-week shred. You yeah, weren't looking I, did. I, was, yeah, no, I, was, I was looking at the I – was, I was probably on the healthy uh, diet back then. But, you are on uh, the banking diet. But yeah, that's right. But now I've, I've, I think uh, – I know I operate better when I train. And just um, my head's clearer. I'm a better person, so I just need to train more often. Have you started the sauna? I. Uh, it's funny you mention that because uh, my wife uh, has uh, just gone and started with the infrared sauna, mm-hmm. and um, and then uh, I was in Melbourne a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I made sure I was uh, in the sauna, and um, it's been it's been good. I've got to, uh, and then now we're talking about putting one in at home. Good boy, good boy. And are you stacking that with the fasting? As well, have you yeah, I t- yeah, the fasting's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've got. Um, You're a good student. Yeah, yeah. I try to try to listen to information and then disseminate whether it's the right uh, right mix for me. Question number seven: What is your favourite failure? <sighs> yeah, this might resonate with you, but I think um, my f- first marriage failure was probably one that was you know. Hopefully, my only marriage failure too. By the way, um, but, but expensive. Yeah, you don't have right. another one. But I think, uh, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself, and uh, it opens up new opportunity. Question eight: What do you do to recharge or to switch off? Because it's an interesting one. That because you, you, you see, yeah, I, I, I train, training, training. Like I, I recharge from training. Um, I feel far more energized when I've trained, and uh, and that's you know, people will go, "Well, you're exhausted. Why would you go to the gym?" I'm like, "Well, actually, that's my way of powering up." So if I put my scientific hat on, downregulation is twofold. One is psychological detachment. You totally get through that, that through fitness. Two is parasympathetic activation. So where you drop the heart rate, you yeah. drop the blood pressure, you drop blood flow, you drop breathing rate. Do you do anything in, in that space? Uh, hopefully when I sleep, but I don't sleep that much. No, I don't. Maybe there we go. There's another tip I can take on board. Question number nine, how do you prepare for what I call performance moments or key moments? So if we go to presenting to the board to get the role as CEO, what did you do leading up to that? Well, just, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Um, so, so I think I'm much better in presenting from the heart and from what I know than any sort of reading uh, material. And so, um, you know, I like to make sure I know my material and then speak from the heart. Mm. Question 10, what keeps you up at night? Now, your kids are a bit older, so you can't say that. What keeps me up at night is the pressure to perform, probably. You know, if I've got a big moment, it'll be actually, I, just, I want to really nail it. And so then you go, well, actually, making sure that I've got positive thoughts, not the negative thoughts of failing in that moment. And so it's that real sort of self pressure to perform. Are you then ruminating and thinking about how you're going to do that? Do you come up with a solution? Yeah, I try and vision. Uh, the successful outcome of that moment. So you you use imagery. You can close your eyes and you, you can see the presentation. And did you do that when you played footy as well? Would you? Use yeah, imagery? I do all the time. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. a lot of people go, oh, I can't do that. Uh, visualization is only one part of imagery. Mm. Uh, about one out of five people have got what's called aphantasia. So that's the inability to visualize. But imagery is you can use your senses, taste, sound, touch as well. So are you multi faculty on that? Maybe I'm not probably the taste and all that other stuff that you mentioned, but uh, no, I, I just sort of try and visualise what success looks like. Question eleven: What's your number one productivity tip? Now this is going to be important as you move into a role where everyone wants you. Make decisions quickly. I just what frustrates me um, the most is people who don't make decisions, and if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. But um, 
not making a decision is not a right decision. 12, who has been your most influential mentor or mentors? Um, I've been fortunate to have a lot of influence uh, around me, but I'd say that uh, a gentleman by the name of Andrew Wennerbaum, who was the president of Sydney University Football Club when I first left school and went to to Sydney Uni and left Warringah, which was a big step, but uh, he then managed me pretty much through my professional career and um, he won't even know this, but uh, but but he certainly was in terms of uh, just guidance and keeping it real. Mm. And question number 13, what is your definition of high performance? Outperforming your ability. So performing um, better than your capability. Looking forward to seeing you do that. <laughs> Hopefully it's a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. You've come in at a stage where Rugby Australia is not at the top. I've said this to you off air. I think if you ever go to a team, you don't want to go to a team that's been winning for a decade. You've got everything to lose, nothing to gain. There's huge opportunities for you, huge opportunities with the Men's World Cup, huge opportunities with the Women's, we got, as you said, Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games. Then we've got Super Rugby as well. Then you've got uh, local rugby. My God. Yeah. You got a lot on your plate. That's exciting. I've enjoyed today. Uh, thank you for for not just turning up, but you've been authentic, and you didn't pause on everything. I could see the emotion, and you light up. You're in the right role. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, as you say, there's lots to do, but uh, you want to be in exciting roles where you can make a difference. So, in finishing, is there a question I should have asked you, or you'd like me to ask you, or is there a question you want to flip it and ask me? No, I. I think you covered it. Uh, covered it all. Um, what? Uh, any any tips from you, having been around the environment? Number one is keep enjoying it. I think as soon as you start wearing it like a burden or carrying a cross, everyone else sees it. And I think you've done pretty good training for it. And just keep that balance. And like balance is different for everybody as well. But just keeping the connection with the kids, the connection with Abby. That's your biggest challenge. Like, how do you fit that in and, and do that as well? And like, as I say this, I can hear Tony in the background. <laughs> Practice what you say to other people. But yeah, I've, I've got a couple of different jobs, work with a few different sporting teams. I love it. So I love seeing the passion you've got. They would be the two from my end. Now that's N equals one, because when I haven't been having fun and when I haven't looked after stuff at home, it's led to big problems. Good. Yeah. Wiz, any tips? I'll just make the video. <laughs> <laughs> very good. And on that, we'll just finish. Wiz just makes the videos. Phil, thanks, mate. Awesome. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. It's The Wizard here with Andrew. Phil's just left the studio. We've had a bit of time to reflect on the podcast and what happened in it. So, Andrew, what do you think? Well, I took a coffee break, Wiz, and just sat down and reflected and made a few notes. I think if I do this straight away, I'll just go... Bleh, bleh, bleh. There are a couple of really clear messages that just jumped out throughout that whole presentation. One is the word connected, connectivity, yeah. connection. And a number of times Phil used that word, it was authentic. It was about having that connection with his family. It was about having that connection with grassroots. It was about having that connection with the board, with his chair, with Eddie Jones. It is just central to everything he does. And it was, it was authentic when he used those examples. So that was the first word that popped out to me, is connection. The second one, there's a real thoughtfulness. And I haven't, mm. haven't really seen that with Phil, because I've seen him in social settings at a few you know, banking events. I mentioned the Tour de Cure Ball, where he gave me advice that I'm now father of four. And also catch up with him 
once or twice a year we might have coffee or have lunch and just chew the fat. But I've never seen that real pause between stimulus and response. And I know it's an awareness he has to be conscious of the message. Whereas when I'm with him in a social setting or one-on-one, it's not being recorded mm. and amplified to lots of people. Yeah. That was something really new I saw. And even when I asked him, he gave a bit of a cheeky grin as if to say, oh yeah, I do do that. And you pick that up. It's a real skill that he's obviously learned over the years is to just pause, reflect, quickly process, think about how can this be taken, taken out of context, and then gives the answer. Mm, yeah, and I, I actually had a similar note to yours as well, and I was thinking, yeah, starting as a CEO, that's probably going to be a massive help when he's talking to media. I don't know if he picked that up as a player and it helped him then as well, but I think, yeah, being the CEO, that's going to be a huge help when someone tries to, you know, spin him a question and catch him out. He's going he's gonna to have that down pat. And he's done a lot of media as mm. well. So obviously he, he mentioned his mentor, he mentioned the work he's done as captain and all the media training. I think all that conglomeration together has led to that as a skill, that real, that pause, reflect, and then give the answer. Yeah, absolutely. And what I picked up from that interview was he was talking about, he likes to, he, he mentioned it a couple of times, he likes to take things one step at a time and just work on the next thing and get through that. And he obviously has a bit of a long-term plan, but he just likes to get through that next thing. And that's pretty handy in rugby. You go the next tackle, the next tackle, the next tackle. And then he kind of has taken that into his career after rugby as well. He talked about, you know, I worked at this role and I I got good at that and then I went to the next thing and then I, you know. And so he didn't have that sort of super long-term plan where I have to be this. He was just kind of like, I'm just going to take this next thing as it comes and I'm going to hit that and then I'm going to go to the next thing. Or did he? Because when he used that phrase, and I do like that phrase, you've got to earn it. So you've got to earn it as a player and then you've got to earn it. And again, he, he... push back at me when I said you were behind or did you feel like you were behind the kids that went to banking straight away and then they had 10 or 15 years he said no if you reframe that there's a different skill set I wonder whether he did have a goal to be CEO of Rugby Australia and he just didn't want to let on in this interview but he's definitely earned it over the last 15 plus years in the corporate world and sitting on board, sitting Mm. on the trust. He's done a lot of work behind the scenes and that really came out in our interview today. Oh yeah, you can tell he loves it. I mean, every every time he was talking about rugby, he always went back. He wants to build that grassroots, that community feeling around the the club. So, What you don't see in a podcast, you will see if you watch the video version of this, is the passion. He lights Mm. up and and you see the big smile, the eyes light up and it was passion about rugby. It was about passion for the world game it was passion about the workload and the challenge coming up so you can see his heart is totally in this role oh absolutely i think he'd be good as the ceo of any sport really but i think rugby he's gonna smash that the other thing that that surprised me dumb and dumber i don't think we've ever had, <laughs> we, we haven't had one person because you know that's one of my favorite movies of oh, all no, time it's, brilliant. it's one of the funniest movies of all time and it's because it we've been talking some quite serious mm. topics about rugby, his relationship with Hamish McClellan, Eddie Jones, what he's got to do, and then he just threw Dumb and Dumber yeah. at us. Awesome. I was not expecting that. threw me off so much. I had to stop. I was typing notes on my phone. I had to stop. I could see you having a bit of a chuckle. to myself. It's a great movie. And can I just ask, what is it with football players and Japanese food? We've had a bunch of them on now, and a lot of them have said it's their favourite type of food. Now... Do we need to like launch an investigation into this? Like, what's going on there? Maybe we just need to ask a different question. Other than Japanese food, as a footballer, <laughs> what is your favourite food? George Gregan said Japanese. Reed Marnie, I believe, said I'm pretty sure Japanese did, yeah. was his. And then 
Phil said it as well. Well, look, it's a great food. I love it. Mm. If you eat the right Japanese food, it's going to help you with your weight management as well, but just tastes good. I, I do think, though, with the rugby union players, Japan players go there a lot for national yeah. games, but also a lot of players, when they get towards those last few years, like George did, they'll go and play with a Japanese franchise. Okay, yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense. Where's my final message? is I believe Rugby Australia is in good hands. There's mm. a lot of work for Phil to do. He acknowledged that. When he left the studio, he said, oh, God, look at my phone, it's blowing <laughs> up. Yeah. But when you combine the passion he has for the game and for life, mm. when you look at how thoughtful he is, when you look at the connectivity he wants to bring through the game and through in a bit of lightheartedness as well, yeah. I think he's really setting himself up and I do hope setting Rugby Australia up to have a very successful future. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to start watching more rugby games now. Not for the players, just for the CEO. I'm going to see what he's doing on the sideline. I think he'll be happy with that, Wiz. 